So uh, that, uh, last, that last announcement, it's just the parking arrangement for next week. Basically, we own these three buildings. We don't own the fourth one. And they're doing all their parking lots. So in case you haven't figured out yet, we, haven't, we don't own the fourth one. We will. But the fourth one, <laughs> I should have thrown that up in prayer. <clears throat> I've told you, I haven't, I haven't lied to you before, have I? Every, every building I told you were, was ours since, if you've been here since the beginning, became ours. So that will be too. But anyway, the parking over there, they'll be doing the, redoing the parking. And actually, we'll be redoing ours as well. And uh, one thing I'd like to do corporately that I, I don't think I've done in a long time, maybe, maybe never, is... Um, uh, we're right on the edge of a lot of new construction. As many of you know, this room itself has been under a huge renovation as well as all the rooms and parts of the building. But now we're turning our attention both to the warehouse and also this building over here. And um, so, as you can imagine, uh, in this day and age with regard to um, construction costs, construction availability, everything you can imagine, every hindrance to doing a project like this, it's not easy to find your way. You that are in the construction industry in some way understand what I'm talking about. And so there's endless delays and stops and starts. And I just thought, uh, Lord, if you would like to bless me, especially today, I would appreciate uh, you would alleviate these uh, little stops and starts. And I pray, God, as we begin construction this time, first of all, Lord, I'm asking along with you, all of you who are also praying with me, right? I pray, God, that you would take every stop, every illegal stop, every city stop, every planning commission stop, every construction stop, and I pray, Lord, you would literally remove every boundary and every barrier, and you would open the door, and it would just flow smoothly, and we would finish this up and, and much faster than we expected in the warehouse and over here in Jesus' name. Matter of fact, I pray instead of going slower than we expect, I pray you go faster than we expect. I pray, God, you put all the pieces together in Jesus' name and every block and hindrance in Jesus' name as we enter into this new time of construction. And a lot of this, you know, has to do with the school that we've been putting in place and will expand into upper grades, and it has to do with warehouse changes we're making. I don't know if you've noticed, but our Mercy Warehouse has become very, very merciful and at the same time very, very busy, so it's going crazy over there. So. We're having to rearrange our parking and rearrange the front and just so that it's more suitable for traffic coming in and out. And, and uh, then, of course, just for our sanctuary and stuff. And outside here, there'll be a huge brand new uh, porch area, just going to be amazing, with a fountain out there and uh, just a beautiful thing. It's just going to be amazing for the kids and expanded playground and uh, just going to look, it's, it's going to be amazing. So... Um, so all of that's in the mix as well. And then lastly, the kitchen back there will be completely redone, and there will be an opening there in the wall, and we'll be able to serve out of that. So that's also coming. So we've been in a long construction project ever since the, the COVID thing hit, and now we're, we're just trying to get through to the next step. And as we've gone, it's become more and more difficult with legal steps and construction steps and prices and all of it. So just be praying about this because... Uh, We've already seen a lot of miracles, but I'd just like to see a few more, especially right now, right before school starts. We need right now, we need those things to break through. So, Jesus' name. We need another teacher, I think, too, I think. Do we in the school? So, Lord, I, I summon him or her up in Jesus' name. Wherever you are, you, can't, you have to be found. Uh, ollie, ollie, income free uh, teacher. We'll actually pay you. It won't be for free. We'll pay you. Amen. Okay, so you can tell... Everybody, I prayed an ollie ollie income free <laughs> prayer for that teacher. Our teachers are amazing. And we've been, God's given us so many. I just don't see any reason why we shouldn't have another great one, or maybe two, who knows. All right, so hopefully everybody has an outline, and it should say, Releasing the Blessing of the Father. 
And so it turns out that God gives us power as believers to receive and release the love and the blessing of the Father. Now that little phrase there, you could just stay on the page and look like nothing, you know, just pretty much, you know, uh, yeah, well, that's nice. Until you've actually received the love of the Father, until you actually heard him affirm you and encourage you, so for real. So what I mean by that is I think there's a lot of concepts that people talk about in church, and so to the uninitiated or maybe the one that's never experienced it, it just sounds like more religious jargon and talk, right? But I want you to tell you that when we talk about these things that we're talking about today, um, these are very, very real things. It turns out that God adopts us. He adopts us as his kids in a way we just can't imagine. And the telltale sign of being adopted by the Father in a supernatural way is the love of God that begins to pour into your heart. There's a supernatural love available to all who believe in Jesus, for love comes from God. I didn't know that. I've been raised in the church, so I'd heard that for all my life until the time came when I got into a real difficulty, even as a, a Christian minister, as we were making transitions and stuff, and I was trying to figure out where I belonged, and and turns out I belonged in the vineyard, but didn't know it. And uh, and then, uh, which is so great about the vineyard and about our church, you know, we're, we're not just an organization that talks about Christian values. We are, a, we are a group of people that have experienced Christian values, the love of God literally pouring through the heart. You would think after years and years of knowing Jesus, I wouldn't need that, but I needed it more desperately than I can imagine. It's one thing to know about the love of God. It's another when the supernatural love of God comes and just pours into every nook and cranny of your being, and that's exactly what happened to me. And when that happened, I, I, I found myself in unknown territory. I felt this affection from God I never had before. I'd received this blessing, uh, the one that he wants to give all of his children, not just knowing about God in uh, theory, but knowing about God in here, affirmed, as affirmed as if I were to go up and say you know, to one of my children, I love you, put my arm around them, but even more than that, because maybe they aren't even listening to that. But I was looking for that, and I found it, and the love of God came, and it came in the strangest place. It came as I was eating dinner, uh, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, and I'm in this room, room with John Wember around the table. Uh, he's right here. I'm here. My friends are over here, and I have this uh, Spirit of God fall on me with nobody praying anything. I didn't even know what in the world was going on. Frankly, I thought some, maybe I was having a nervous breakdown, but I couldn't figure out why that would be happening. I began to shake and tremble, and I began to feel the love of God just pouring into me, pouring into me, sovereignly just happened. And I figured, well, maybe I should go to the vineyard after all. So I, so I signed up. And the one thing I learned about uh, our group of churches is that it's not just a group of churches. It's a group of churches where you encounter the Most High God, right? And I didn't expect to encounter the Most High God. I had a lot of encounters that I thought were pretty cool already, but I wasn't prepared for what happened. It was just the most glorious thing. And from that point forward, I had a mentor. His name was Eddie Piorek, who, who actually understood such things and, um, and helped me to cultivate that. And I ended up in this church and ended up being sent out of there, and we ended up doing this. And ever since, this amazing blessing of the Father, love of the Father for me is, it's not just like on the page thing, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. No. When he pours that uh, love into your heart, which he's glad to do, I'll tell you what, it revolutionizes your whole life. So God gives us power as believers to receive and release the love and the blessing of the Father. I turned out that I could actually do that for others. And so ever since then, I've been doing the same thing. 
year in and year out. I'm all my classes everywhere I go. You know, I've been le- releasing the last two weeks of our last class, which we do three times a year, the Life in the Spirit class. Just so great because I felt the love of God just come into that place and impart to the people. And I think some were quite surprised at the tears and things because it's supernatural. It's, it's actually beyond comprehension, yet it is comprehensible, obviously, right? So 1 John 4 Verse 7, as we read these verses, they're more than theory. They're, they're not just talking about nice poems of the way things ought to be. They, they, they are the way things are experientially. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from real, real love, real affection. It's hard to explain how the Father, God, can give you a divine hug. But when you get one, you don't have to work hard to explain it anymore. You know. And that's what's available for us. And why it's been lost, why we've lost it in lots of theology and explanations and theories and hopes that God loves us. And we say that so flippantly. But for whatever reason, I don't know why that is in the church, but I just got to say that here we know what that means. Here we impart it all the time. For love comes from God. And he'll visit you coming soon to a theater near you. Amen. I hope. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, so that's the thing. Once you know God, you begin to love other people. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can you imagine a father so in love with his kids that he sent his son, his very son, to go get the, go, go get the rest of his children? born from Adam and Eve, right? This son, you would think they have a better way of doing it, but Jesus had to become a man, and he was crucified on that cross, and he paid the price for our sin and made it possible for us not only to have a relationship with God, but an amazing relationship with God, a God who speaks and talks in our ear, a God who loves us with this love that I could never have imagined. And as I got adopted in that day and have been repeatedly adopted over the last 20-something years, I never cease to amaze me how when we talk about these subjects, we're not talking about theory, we're talking about the literal manifestation of the presence of God. And when you get the love dimension, it'll shake you up like no other dimension. It'll rearrange your whole whole, whole life because that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for someone to love us. We're always we're looking for someone to love us unconditionally. We're looking for someone, for someone to hug us. And we try to find that in all kinds of places. We try to find it in boyfriends and girlfriends and this person and that person and worshiping this or doing that. But it only comes from God because he's the father of love. And he proved it by sending his own son. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In other words, he loves us, and then we really truly then began to unselfishly to love other people. That's the only way a marriage can survive, by the way. This love operating in your life will make you sacrificial, right? God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In other words, he completes it so that we actually then can become lovers for other people. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. Tell you, put that in a marriage, and it lasts very, very well. It does fine, thank you. Because all of us are by nature are very selfish. We don't know how selfish till when we get married. Then we find out how really selfish we are, right? This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. He puts His very Holy Spirit, the supernaturalness of God in us. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, the reason why Jesus is so important is he had to come to clear the cleanses of our sins. He had to come and die for our sins so that we could freely accept the Father's love into our hearts. But the thing is, sometimes we stop at salvation. We don't know that that perfect love keeps driving out fear. Fear that I'm not going to have a house. Fear that I'm not going to have enough. Fear that I'm not going to be married. Fear that I'm never going to get well. Fear that this career is never going to work out. Fear, fear, fear. The whole world is full of fear. If it never... if if there's never was, there's never a time in this history, I think, since I've been alive, where there's been more fear in the air. All this anger and angst, fighting and competition, and all of this pain and stuff is really at its root is not hate. It's actually fear, fear, fear of not being loved, accepted, fear of something being left out. Fear, its deepest root, it's fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why even now the world can't understand us. Because when we live like Jesus, we're not afraid like everybody else. We're not afraid like everybody else of the COVID virus. We're not afraid of anything. I mean, we're, we take precaution, but we're, we don't have that spirit of fear. We're not running around with our heads cut off. We're, we're not doing that. So we look funny, especially in an atmosphere full of uh, fear, uh, like we've had in our culture, fear of the economy and fear of this and that. Christians stick out. They look weird. They they look strange. I remember as I began to emerge as a believer and and God filled me with the Spirit over and over again. I remember my, one of the things my, my parents, you know, I think they thought it was naivety and there is a certain bit of youthful naivety, believe me, about the world. But I, I just was fearless. I, I, I was doing things that hadn't been normal for our family and making decisions you know, that were crazy decisions. But I was just following the beat of a different drummer, the love of my father. And I'm in the middle of medical school, and everybody's proud. Then I leave medical school for no apparently good reason except that Jesus told me that I'm supposed to be a pastor, right, with no vision inside of how that would ever be. But it was a true word, and it came to pass, right? There's no fear in love, you see, a perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when we begin to be filled with love, we, we begin to be bold. We, we begin to do things. We begin to operate. And that's why the world will never understand us. You know, we just literally walk to the beat of a different drummer. We just aren't like it. And so in a world full of fear and panic all the time, running after this and running after that, scared of this, we don't react like that. We almost look like we're dumb or stupid or just not informed or not wise enough or whatever, right? No, the word is secure. And you may be my president, you may be my senator, you may be my mayor, but you're not my Jesus. You're not my Lord. You're not the ultimate authority. And you know what? Rule as you will, but I have this father who likes to hear my prayers, and if I ask him to remove you, he would do that. And put somebody else in place. 
A lot of Christians don't think that our practical prayer life has much to do other than maybe this sort of pious, monkish sort of weird thing, you know. But what we do is we move mountains with what we ask. When you get that in your soul, you'll never stop, right? Prayer becomes a whole other adventure when you begin to see mountains move, when you see your first one move and your next one move and your next one move, and pretty soon you're praying for the whole world, right, for those mountains to move. We love, why? Because he first loved us, because he gave us this blessing. He, he loved us genuinely and freely, unconditionally. How do we know unconditionally? The only condition, he says, is receive my son, and he gave his son first. He gave first. He gave first, unconditionally. And he said, just receive him. I'll give you this free gift of eternal life. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And then Jesus expands that definition so wide and so big, you know. Who's my brother and sister? You know? And he's showing disciples, tax collectors, and all these people he's receiving, prostitutes and people that were the scum of the earth. These are his brothers and sisters, and his disciples are freaking out. We thought you were just talking about us and maybe a few of our Jewish friends. No, it goes, and then when that went to the Gentiles, then they really freaked out. <laughs> All right? Oh, my. We begin to love because he first loves us. What God does is he tenderizes our heart when things are working right. That's part of the blessing of the Father. You receive this tenderness. Tenderness will take you places you never would go before. And I, I'm just thinking about this through my history, and I have all these favorite examples. I probably said this one before. But I'll never forget it. You know, uh, compassion will get you to do things you would never do in a million years for any other reason. Just ask, you know, maybe some of you found that doing things like that boldly for your own children, for example. You know, calling people up and making a fuss and doing this and that for your kids, right? Maybe you experience that, even when they're like five years old and they won't let them into your favorite uh, dance class or kindergarten, you know. You would think that would just be an easy thing. With parents, they get pretty pretty uptight about stuff like that, right? After all, it's my junior or my, my little girl. That's important, right? This love beats in us, and we can all understand that. But as we begin to grow in Christ, some strange things begin to happen to us, you know. And one of my favorites is just how God motivates us to love unlovely people, to love people that we've never met before, even obnoxious people, right? Even people aren't doing so well. And I remember I was preaching in India one time, and I've told you this story before, but God kept calling it to my mind, and I'll, I just never forget it because it's just a great example. You know, by I'm saying that we should be lovers and these people like we're talking, I'm not saying we do it in our strength. I'm saying we do it in our weakness. We don't do it because we're strong, and we don't even do it as strong people. I'll give you an example. This is the way we have to go if we're really going to love the world. You have to go in weakness. Matter of fact, God makes it that way. When he says we can heal the sick, how many have been ever intimidated by healing for a person who's sick? Well, it's one thing to pray for someone with a cold, but it's another thing to pray for someone that's paralyzed or facing imminent death, right? Then we feel really, really small. But that's the time when we need to feel the biggest because it's not up to us anyway. We show the compassion that God gives us. And then we do it in faith, right? And I remember this amazing thing happened. I We were out in uh, India, and I... It's one of the first times I went to India, and we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the middle of middle of nowhere. And um, it was just uh, 
Well, everything about that atmosphere was, it was like landing on Mars. Everything about that environment would freak you out. I mean, if it wasn't the weather and the dust, it was the dress, the weird people roaming around, the, the, the people, uh, sorcerers and witch doc, doctor kind of people and strange, odd uh, conglomerations of, you know, just the strangest thing you've ever seen. I mean, everything, uh, the way they got around and walked and everything, and the diseases that you would see, goiters and horrible things growing on people and stuff, so... So I'm out there preaching the gospel, you know, and I had a whole team with me, like 15 people. I'm preaching the gospel. And the came, time came for ministry time, much like we do it here. And I've told you this story before, but as I talk about the blessing of the Father, I, I, just, I just think this is one of the stories that I, I just think the, uh, the Father maybe would like us to know and, and, and just a good example of who we are and where we are in this thing of, of releasing God's blessing. I, I, I remember... Uh, so I'm watching, and my team is praying for people, and I just invite anybody that was sick to come up, and they're all praying, you know. But this one guy, um, I saw out of the corner of my eye, this uh, father come in with his paralyzed daughter, right? And her legs are all limp and everything. And he carries her in, you know. And he can't find anybody, so he finds, I, I'm watching from the stage, and I'm wondering, well, I wonder who's going to pray for her, Right. And my friend, you know, uh, my, one of my our ministry team, I'm on the stage, he's down there, you know, this girl, he sees this person coming, and the father, like, takes a beeline to him. He's going to bring this daughter, you know. And I'm watching on the stage, and he starts running. He's, he's running from this person. So he comes around here, and this guy, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but he wanted that guy to pray for his daughter. So he's carrying his daughter like this, and my friend's walking away, hiding, going over here. Then he comes over there. Wherever the guy goes, you know, uh, he's, he's, you know he didn't want to pray because he was just felt so bad about this, and he didn't want to pray because if he prayed, if something didn't happen, it would just break him up too much, and he just couldn't do it. He had so much compassion, and finally... There was no escape. So finally, Bowser said, okay, puts the girl down there, you know, you know, on, the, on this dirty ground, you know, and everything. And he goes over, you know, and I remember, because he didn't want to pray for her because he had so much compassion. He had so much compassion in his heart, you know, and he just couldn't bear to, to see this person not healed. So he lays his hands on her legs, and I'm just watching, and he couldn't say a word. And all I could do was cry. And I'm watching from like from here to the camera. I, I'm, I'm watching, you know, and I can see his tears hitting her dusty feet. You know, splashing on his poor little girl's feet, you know. And it was just, this is called releasing the blessing of the Father. You just do it because God wants you to do it. You leave the results up for him. He's the healer. We don't have to make any bones about it. This thing, you know, heals somebody that has a disease you can't see, but a crippled club foot girl and the desert father, you know. So this is where we should insert ourselves. And even if she doesn't get healed or she did get healed or any other situation like that, right, we just deliver the mail, right? We aren't the mail. We just deliver it, and we do it in Jesus' name. And as we have compassion on people, it's the greatest motive. How many have ever had compassion on someone to witness to them? And you witness to them, and you're just afraid they're going to reject you. And sure enough, they just completely reject you. You say to yourself, ah, I'm never going to do that again. Never say that. You just deliver the mail. You're the mail person. You just deliver the mail. And you let the Father do what he's doing, right? Some of those people that you come to the first time, you know, that absolutely look totally uninterested, you know, 
they'll remember what you said because it's the word. They'll remember. And I've had people come back to me months, years later, give their heart to Christ, remembering what we talked about. Then I've had it go the other way. I remember when I was in med school. I remember, I don't know why. I don't know what possessed me. I, I know who it was. It was the Lord, right? But it was just, I felt possessed in a way. I felt, wow, because I took an interest in one of my classmates. And I just kept sharing with him about Jesus every day, you know. And he'd reject it, you know, just didn't and, and all that, you know. And then finally we went on break. And uh, about three days later after we went on a break, he got in a car, rash, car wreck and he died. Now, I don't even know if he accepted. He wouldn't, you know. But I got this burden, you know. And when compassion comes, um, God gives us power as believers to receive his compassion. That's, I think, maybe... Well, the main things we should cultivate in our life is compassion in our own life and believing that God loves us. Because if we get that in our heart and we cultivate that, then it's much easier for us. We love because what? He first loved us. I'm not just saying theoretically or way back then. We love because we feel his love in our heart, and, and that's why we have mercy on a person, right? That's why we pray for them. That's why we do what we do, right? So part of this releasing the love of the Father has everything to do with love of the blessing of the Father, it's dads, and for all of us, it's, it's this compassion that God gives. Now, if you look at Roman number two, it says the power of a father's blessing. We all desperately need to feel God's blessing and love amazingly as, a body of Christ, as the body of Christ. To give a blessing is to affirm, to say yes to a person's belovedness. I think sometimes, whether we're male or female, there's no gender in this particular thing of giving away the Father's blessing. I, I think that um, I think sometimes we just feel so ill-equipped, you know, and ordinary. Somehow or another, to leave a blessing, we think maybe we're supposed to be extraordinary. As a matter of fact, maybe if we had more of a traditional background, we see priests with big crosses and maybe robes and everything, and maybe they're the official blessers, right? And so sometimes that creeps into the the the, uh, the mix there as churchgoers, right? But even sometimes we just think that's sort of left up to, to the clergy or or whoever, right? It's it's not for us. But the truth is that um, we need to release the Father's blessing, and when God gives us that ability to do it, to give a blessing is to affirm to say yes to a person's belovedness. And I'm gonna. Talk for a moment out of this uh, this article. It's uh, by Henry Nowen. Maybe some of you read his books, and uh, so he's really writes a lot about this sort of thing. Uh, he was a priest and is a priest. I don't know if he's still alive or not. I can't remember. But um, just an amazing person to read his writings and stuff. It's all centered along these these themes. And um, so he talks about going to a bar mitzvah, and uh, so. I want to just talk again, like I'm saying, about the uh, blessing, the power of a father's blessing. As a member of a blessing, a member of by Christ, to give a blessing to, is to affirm, to say yes to a person's belovedness. So he remembered, he said, he, he recalls the first time that as a Catholic priest he, he went to a bar mitzvah. And so he describes the scene like this A young man, 13 years old, was declared adult by his congregation for the first time. He gave leadership to the service. He read from the book of Genesis and gave a short sermon about the importance of caring for our environment. He was affirmed by the rabbi and his friends and blessed by his parents. It was the first time that I'd witnessed a bar mitzvah, and I was deeply moved, most of all by the parents' blessing. 
I still hear the Father saying, Son, whatever will happen to you, whatever will happen to you in your life, whether you will have success or not, become important or not, will be healthy or not, always remember how much your mother and I love you. When he said this in front of the congregation, looking gently at the boy standing before him, tears came to my eyes, and I thought, what a grace such a blessing is. I am increasingly aware of how much we fearful, anxious, insecure human beings are in need of a blessing. Children need to be blessed by their parents and parents by their children. We all need each other's blessings, masters and disciples, rabbis and students, bishops and priests, doctors and patients. Isn't that good? So he gives some more examples, and I want to just read some of these. Um, He says to... Give a blessing is to say yes to a person's belovedness. And more than that, to give a blessing creates the reality of which it speaks. There is a lot of mutual admiration in this world, just as there is a lot of mutual condemnation. A blessing goes beyond the distinction between admiration and condemnation, between virtues or vices, between good deeds or evil deeds. A blessing touches the original goodness of the other and calls forth his or her, her his belovedness. Not good? So he, he gives this example. He says, not long ago in my own community, I had a very personal experience of the power of a real blessing. Shortly before I prayed a prayer service in one of our houses, Janet, a handicapped member of our community, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? I responded. Now, he's a priest with all these robes and stuff. I responded in a somewhat automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. Instead of being grateful, however, she protested vehemently, No, that doesn't work. I want a real blessing. I suddenly became aware of the ritualistic quality of my response to her request and said, Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me give you a real blessing when we're all together for the prayer service. She nodded with a smile, and I realized that something special was required of me. Not just of him, all of us. We just don't know it. I'm trying to make you in touch with the ability to bless, the blessing that's required of you. What does God want you to bless and who, right? And when? After the service, when about 30 people were sitting in a circle on the floor, I said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. She feels that she needs that now. As I was saying this, I didn't know what Janice really needed. Jan- sorry, Janet really needed. But Janet didn't leave me in doubt for very long. As soon as I had said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing, she stood up and walked toward me I was wearing a long white robe with ample sleeves covering my hands as well as my arms. Spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me and put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so she almost vanished in the folds of my robe. As we held each other, I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes, your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days. There is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. As I said these words, Janet raised her head and looked at me, and her broad smile showed that she really heard and received the blessing. When she returned to her place, Jane, another handicapped woman, raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. She stood up, and before I knew it, I had put put her face against my chest After I had spoken words of blessing to her, many more of the handicapped people followed, expressing the same desire to be blessed. 
The most touching moment, however, came when one of the assistants, a 24-year-old student, raised his hand and said, and what about me? Sure, I said, come. He came, and as we stood before each other, I put my arms around him and said, John, it's so good that you are here. You're God's beloved son. Your presence is a joy for all of us. When things are hard and life is burdensome, always remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. As I spoke these words, he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and then he said, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Right? So handicapped and the unhandicapped, physical disability, mental disability or not, truth is that we all are in this place, right? We need blessing. Everyone needs the blessing of their heavenly father and their earthly father. Even Jesus needed the affirmation of his father. If your earthly father is missing, the provision of your heavenly father is more than enough for you. The audible voice of the heavenly father said to Jesus, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So I'm sure that this was something that the father did to fulfill, something that was important. People needed to know this was God's son, right? The father says to Jesus, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But more importantly, he needed to hear it. And as humanity, there's this human part of Jesus that needed to hear the Father say, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we all have that space in us that need to receive this very same thing. Brennan Manning, who I'm going to read from in a moment, said this. He says, what an earthquake in the human soul of Jesus. So to hear God say that, if we talk about that a lot, is, is an earthquake. And immediately from that place, he went out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And the only thing that will keep you out of temptation, keep you away from the stories and the lies of the enemy and believing them and going off and trying to fulfill your own destiny, your own will, is the love of God. If you don't really believe that God loves you, it's very hard to keep up resistance to, to, uh, to temptation in all its forms or even to attacks of the enemy. It's hard to resist. You break down and you begin to do all kinds of things that are very unfatherly-like, ungodly. But the root of all kinds of sin is this lack of hearing the Father say, you're loved, you're my beloved, you I'm well pleased. Then we have our, but what about, what about, what about? In goo time, just believe, just trust. I didn't say that this wouldn't take trust, but hearing that voice is the first step. And then trusting that what he says is really true, and that God will help you buy that house you need. God will help you get rid of that disease. God will fix your children. You're his beloved. He hears your prayers. You're more than just anybody. You come boldly to a throne of grace, but not just boldly because you're obnoxious, but boldly because you are a son of the Most High God. You're a daughter of the Most High God. Not just any kind of son, but a favorite son. Beloved. And when that happened to me the first time and uh, started under John Wimber's table and began to expand and began to find that in the vineyard movement itself there was lots of this, it just strikes me. I think that uh, sometimes whole movements lose a sense of their belovedness. Pastors lose it, people lose it, and it causes them to make the straight, craziest, strangest decisions. The root of it always, losing your belovedness, your security, 
some losing your sense of walk with God. Happens in marriages, families. What an earthquake in the human soul of Jesus. What an earthquake in your soul to keep hearing the Father say, I love you in a supernatural way. There's nothing quite like it. I walked with the Lord for years, but until I heard that voice, that sound, God speaking to me in a way that I knew for sure, uh, I'd really never experienced that explosion before in my heart. It undid me. The first time it happened to me, and now I've had subsequent refills. I can handle my liquor a little better now. But this elixir called love, the first time it happened to me, I, I went around crying all the time. I'm not even sure that my wife, how many years have we been married at that time? I'm not sure. Decade, maybe? I'm not sure that she'd ever seen me uh, cry one, one time. Maybe over a ball game when the Lakers won. <laughs> but... uh so uh, that was in the mid-'80s, by the way, with Magic Johnson and all that. But I don't think she ever saw me because a couple of years later, uh, I got whacked in this way. I'd been speaking in tongues, filled the Spirit, operating spiritual gifts, but nothing like this, this earthquake. I just want you to know that uh, this uh, Father's voice to Jesus, you're my son whom I love, with you and I'm well pleased, was an earthquake in his soul, and it could be an earthquake in your soul, and not just one time in your life, but over and over again. Since that time, I've experienced many tremors, many voices of God, many times where he's calmed my nerves, talked to me, helped me make from making really dumb decisions. But most of all, the times I love the best is when I do not really in need at all, but I just feel this divine hug for no apparent reason. I've literally stopped in the street sometimes to think, how are you doing this? I'm not in church. I'm walking this street. I'm a little tired now. I'm trying to find my way here. How are you doing this? How are you loving me? How? I've asked one time, I've had some of the strangest environments where all of a sudden I feel the love of God on me, and I just ask him, how are you doing this? There's no, there's, I, I can't hear a, a single sermon. I'm not listening to a, a cool CD. I'm just out here, and there doesn't seem to be anybody that knows God in sight, but I feel your hug. Oh, my goodness. So by the fact that I'm even saying this, and maybe some of you have never heard this, is possible. Or maybe you knew once a time, there was a time maybe when you were baptized, and maybe a long time ago something happened. Maybe you were in a hard time, and then God gave you a special hug. But could I just say these hugs are more often than we can imagine, and just by your believing that, you'll actually begin to experience it. And you can't conjure it up yourself. You can just be open. But you know what? God being the lover he is, if you ask him to love you, he will show you in tangible ways. Sometimes feeling in your body, sometimes just does something special for you that you weren't expecting, a surprise. God's always giving surprises, except that sometimes people don't even notice when he's opening a door for them, making a change over here, doing something. So I've been keeping better track of my life. It helps me actually constantly walk in the love of God and the blessing of God to keep track of my life. Thank you very much for doing that, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for Mike Trout hitting that home run last night. It was so cool. If you saw the borders where this extends in my life, it would be shocking, and I ain't telling anymore. But I pray about everything. Everything. Anything that touches my life. <laughs> I'm looking for good. The good measure, the pressed down, the shaking together, running over, because I've learned. Good measure, pressed down. And by the way, there's some keys to this. One is, the more you give, the more you get. <laughs> 
It's not a hard thing to give money. It's a pleasure. It's not a hard thing to sacrifice your time. You just have to understand the context. Give, and it shall be what? Given to you. And then what kind of giving comes back? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Oh, that's a great arrangement. And one of my favorite things to get back, maybe not physical things at all, but just this love of God saying, good job, attaboy, you're doing a good job. Good job. I was listening the other day to an African-American news commentator. He said, what we need most in the inner city is fathers. But he only got part of it right. I think we especially need fathers who know their heavenly father, who can bless and love their children in Jesus' name with the resources God gives. Maybe I think sometimes, especially in poverty or in a difficult place, and we all feel that one time or another, we feel weak. Whether we're men or women, this is the Father's Day, so I'm talking a lot about the Father, but whether we're, whatever we're weak at, right? But we always have this ability to give and bless, and God gives the resources. And so those fathers in the inner city, they'll be great if they have the resources God gives them. He gives them the strength, He gives them the firmness and the softness and the tenderness, and I think probably by now, most of you know, if you know, even if you're not great sports fans, and I, I love sports, so I'm a fan, but all these stories we hear all the time, you know, of, of these athletes, and it's almost always a mother loving that son to the place where he got to the place. Every once in a while we hear about a father, right? But I just think that probably the healing in our nation, the healing in the deepest parts of our nation of the poverty and the brokenness and the deepest places of our heart, uh, fathers that show up with the love of God would be greatly appreciated and help and probably do more to heal than almost anything I could think of. Because it's absentee fathers, and by absentee father, I'm not talking about one that's just gone. I'm talking about one that doesn't have God the Father in their heart. It's hard for them to be present when the love of the Father is not healing all their own wounds and take care of them, right? Taking care of them. So maybe we had a bad, difficult household or family or difficult situation. God will more than willingly adopt you, dads, give you the resources you need to feel beloved, and then you'll be beloved for other people, right? That's the main thing. We love, why? Because he first loved us, right? This is where the battle line is. So it's not just that we would need inner city, father, inner city fathers. We need inner city fathers with that love that the moms have, that absolute, unconditional compassion. The point that that happens to the men in our inner cities and our broken places, well, you will see great, majestic healing and repair. You will see utter cultural change. Where the action's at is with the fathers. Broken, beaten down fathers. That's where the action is. When that returns, you'll see all kinds of things begin to change in our culture and our land. It's the awareness of, this is Roman numeral three, of God as Abba, that take us straight to the healing and reconciliation ministry of Jesus. And I was, I, I talk about this in my Life in the Spirit class, but I just never seem to get away, uh, just be fascinated by this. I want to talk about this lady. Her name was Bill Quis Sheikh. She wrote a book called I Dare to Call Him Father. She was a Muslim, aristocratic Muslim, that actually, uh, and you that have been in my classes, you know what I'm about to say and talk about, but. Um, she's an aristocratic Muslim. She had a lot of money, in other words. And, um, but she was Muslim in a deeply dark uh, small town in Pakistan. 
her husband had left her, and she was just broken into pieces about it. And, uh, and so it started her searching, just searching anywhere to find some reality. And she couldn't find it in Islam because it was too loveless, and her broken heart needed something more. Yet she knew that in her area it was against the law to read the Bible. But she began to read the Bible because a servant left one on the table, and she began to get interested and began to read and, and just wondered if maybe the answer might be somewhere in that Bible, right? And so she just began to read. She would read without anybody knowing this, this Bible, right? And, uh, and as she began to read, she got uh, really, really uh, curious. So she, the only Christian she knew in the whole nation was a nun that was at the local hospital. And she was telling her some of the scriptures she was reading and, and just, you know. And the nun gave her a piece of advice one day that really turned everything around. The, the nun advised her to think of God as her father and approach him that way. And she thought to herself, no Muslim on the planet would ever think of God as their father. I have no grid for this. I have no understanding. But as she began to read the Bible, she began to see God as father. She began to see. And when she got to Jesus, she saw that relationship. And she began to think of God as a father. She, as a matter of fact, she wrote this book, I Dared to Call Him Father. And uh, so, so when the nun said that to her, she went home. And she was so hungry. And you know, it's amazing how pain will draw you to God. Many of you are here because of pain. <laughs> Matter of fact, maybe most of us got here because of pain. Maybe a long time ago. Pain's an amazing thing. It's the way we actually come many times to God, right? And so she was in so much pain, she was willing to try anything. Because Muslim Islam seemed harsh and hard for her. It wasn't doing anything for her. But she knew she needed resources, something deeper, something that she hadn't got uh, in religion before. And this thing, the way they talked, the way the Christians acted, intrigued her. So she began to read her Bible, and the Bible was even stranger. She began to read it, especially God in the New Testament. So the nun told her to go ahead and try it, you know. And so she, she goes home, and she cries out, Oh, Father, Father, Father God. Hesitantly, I spoke his name aloud. I tried different ways of speaking to him. And then as if something broke through for me, I found myself trusting that he, he was indeed hearing me, just as my earthly father had always done. So she had had a great earthly father who loved her. So every time she thought of her earthly father, she thought, good, you know, so to call God her heavenly father, it was easy for her. Father, oh, my father God, I cried with growing confidence. My voice seemed unusually loud in the large bedroom as I knelt on the rug beside my bed, but suddenly that room wasn't empty anymore. He was there. I could sense his presence. Now, she, she just knows a Muslim, I mean, she just knows a Christian none that's working in the hospital. She doesn't know anybody else. So she's going this all and reading the Bible on her own. And she gets this one piece of advice, just treat God as if he was your father. And she does, and this happens to her. He was there. I could sense his presence. I could feel his hand laid gently on my head. It was as if I could see his eyes filled with love and compassion. He was so close that I found myself laying my head on his knees like a little girl sitting at her father's feet. For a long time, I knelt there, sobbing quietly, floating in his love. I found myself talking with him, apologizing for not having known him before. And again came his loving compassion like a warm blanket settling around me. Now I recognize this as the same loving presence. I had met that fragrance-filled afternoon in my garden, the same presence I had sensed often as I read the Bible. I'm confused, Father. I said, I have to get one thing straight right away. I reached over to the bedside table where I kept the Bible and the Koran side by side. I picked up both books and lifted them, one in each hand. Which father, I said, 
Which father, I said, is, which one is your book? Then a remarkable thing happened. Nothing like it had ever occurred in my life in quite this way. I heard a voice inside my being, a voice that spoke to me as clearly as if I were repeating words in my inner mind. They were fresh, full of kindness, yet at the same time full of authority. In which book do you meet me as your father? I found myself answering, in the Bible. That's all it took. Now there was no question which one was his book. So she began to read. She couldn't find enough time for the Bible. Everything I read, it seemed, was directing me to take some kind of closer walk with God. I found myself standing at a great crossroads. So far I had met personally the Father God, but in my heart I knew I had to give myself totally to his son Jesus or else to turn my back on him completely. And I know for certain that everyone I loved would advise me to turn my back on Jesus. And when she did, they did turn their back on her. But she met Jesus. She met Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And she began to walk with God. And then you should hear the story of how she encountered the Holy Spirit. She began reading about the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing about it was that she actually began to feel this love. And she realized it was the presence of God. And, and she knew that she needed to be baptized with the Spirit. She read it in the Scripture. And so she began to speak in tongues and have this incredible experience. But with it, this lovely impartation of the Father at the same time of love that never left her and filled all those spaces. And she found herself eventually going back to this husband who had divorced her and left her so bitter. And she told him to his face that she forgave him and that it was going to be okay now. And she had hated him with a vengeance for years and years. But love brought her to that place of obedience. She read in the Bible she was supposed to forgive him. But she couldn't find the wherewithal until the father came and gave her the love she needed. And she took a step out and did it, right? So she wrote this book, I Dared to Call Him Father. It's just amazing as she was discipled in the Lord. You read the, the book as she's being discipled because she has nobody to disciple her. And love discipled her. She read all the passages. She just kept seeing this because compared to the Koran and other things she was acquainted to, everything, and if you go to that area of the world, you know everything is so harsh. Matter of fact, world religion as a whole is harsh, harsh, harsh. Don't ever admire it. It enslaves its inheritance. It's... it's uh, uh, adherence, enslaves them, literally enslaves them. And it controls them by fear. It's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all the same. They control by fear. When she found Jesus, she found love. She found the love of God. No more control, freedom, grace, acceptance, right? All right. So if you look down your outline, A, there, processing anger and pain can lead us to experiences with God that heal and tenderize our own soul. We love, why? Because he first loved us. It can even become possible to love our enemies and pray for them. Matter of fact, I think without this power on the inside, this sense of love that the Spirit, God, Spirit of God brings, I just think it's very difficult to love anybody, but much less your enemies. You heard that it was said, love your neighbor. This is verse 43 of Matthew 5. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's interesting in this time, I think I've developed or at least, um, maybe not developed, I mean that's not the right word, but there are some very unfavorite people I began to see on TV <laughs> that I don't like when they come on, you know, because they speak with forked tongue. <laughs> and they're just, you can see it, you can feel it, Right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So only Jesus can get you to do that. 
By the way, as much as you may not like what to do with that commission is on all of you. No matter how ridiculous, no matter how much imposition, no matter how much cursing they've put on us or tried to get rid of us as believers or as whatever your party of preference is, nevertheless, there it is. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute the church. We're all in the same place. And love is much more powerful than hate. And love will get you to pray in a way that's constructive. Actually hear the voice of God. You'll actually begin to pray for them in a way that they actually need, right? Instead of watching for their every faux pas, their every sin, their every mistake, you'll say, Lord, just fix that, please. Not instead, not say, aha, you're more stupid than I thought you were. No. Which I catch myself doing all the time, even delighting in it a little bit, right? I think God's ways are a little different. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Whoop. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That qualifies you to be children of your Father in heaven. By the way, when God accepted you, you weren't so great. You thought you were pretty good until you began to know Jesus, then you found out, whoa. I not only was not great, I was absolutely wicked. I had the wrong attitude and thought about everything. There's no pretty good guys, pretty good gals in the kingdom. We all are the same. We all have our own stuff, right? We all have our own sin to repent of. But if you stop at repentance, you only get halfway there. The love of the Father greets you the other half and brings you home. You repent unto someone to home, to come home, and then you begin to act like him. And then when you find out that he forgives everybody, how much slack he gives people, it's sort of difficult sometimes that only the love of God inside of you can give people slack. Get you to a place where you're constructive with them and they actually could do them some good, prayer-wise or otherwise, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus said it was something like pouring coals over their head when you're kind to your enemies. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than that? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the only way that you can be perfect like that is to have the love of God on the inside of you. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to send that kind of love so that you can feel and experience it. It can, it can become possible then to love your enemies and pray for them. I'd like to ask you a question, and I already know the answer to this. Before you answer too quickly, and some of you will know the reference that I'm getting to, is there a Zacchaeus in your life, your family, your business, a traitor, an outcast, someone not so lovely? Sometimes we read through these stories, like Luke 19. matter of fact, I was even in Israel. They claimed that in Jericho, where we were walking, we walked right by this tree, they said, that's the tree. That could literally be the tree. This tree is 2,000 years old. That, that uh, This man was up in Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collector. He was in league. He was a traitor. And he would take more than they should, and they caused everybody's life to be miserable. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, my earliest memories on a little flannel graph I had as a, in the Sunday school was this little short guy, Zacchaeus, trying to get up on the tree, right? But it turns out Zacchaeus has a little more deep lesson than that, right? So he ran ahead, 
climbed a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, I mean a traitor. Can I just put this in context? I think we understand what it means to feel like you're looking at someone and you feel like they're a traitor. This man's a traitor. He's working with the Romans, stealing their money, getting blessed by them, all the while sticking it to the people. They hated him, right? They hated him. And so Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Aram, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For all of our righteousness, we can't forget our calling to love our enemies, our calling to melt their heart like wax, our calling to be true believers, right? It's important. So along with the truth, we worship him in spirit and truth, right? The spirit part of it has that love, compassion part that Jesus seemed to carry and seemed to rankle, even his most ardent of followers, right? It was so much that actually some people decided not to serve Jesus because it looked like he was in league with the enemy. My goodness. In the end, God reduces us to this. It's Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. I'd like to finish with a story that I've actually read before, I think, to some context. Maybe it's to the men. I'm not sure, to a service or certainly in my class. But I love this so much. There's a man named Brennan Manning. It's a great book. It's called The Furious Longing of God. I recommend that book. And also anything that Henry Nouwen writes, including the book Life of the Beloved. What an amazing book. So this is Brennan Manning talking, and I I just think on this Father's Day I want to read this story. And I I think it's appropriate for now, and especially for all of our dads here, right? Back in the late 1960s, I was teaching at a university in Ohio, and there was a student on campus who by society's standards would have been called ugly. Now this guy that's writing is actually a priest. He's teaching on a Catholic university. He's a priest. He was short, extremely obese, he had a terrible case of acne, a bad lisp, and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse in four different directions at the same time. He wore the uniform of the day, a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish-American War, jeans with a butterfly on the back. (laughs) I forgot about those jeans. (laughs) They actually had a butterfly on the back. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that makes, I don't know, somehow that warms my heart. Right straight from the 70s, right? And, of course, no shoes. In all my days, I've never met anybody with such low esteem. He told me that when he looked in the mirror each day, he spit at it. (laughs) Of course, no campus girl would date him. No fraternity wanted him as a pledge. He walked into my office one day and said his lisp evident, Oh, you're a new face on campus. Well, my name is Larry Mullaney, and I'm an ethnognostic. He said, You're what? He repeated himself, and I said, wow, congratulations. If you ever become an atheist, I'll take you to dinner, and we'll celebrate your conversion. (laughs) This is a priest. (laughs) 
Uh, he was trying to say agnostic, I think. But anyway, the story I'm about to tell you is what Larry got for Christmas one year. Christmas came along for Larry Mullaney, and he found himself back with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace-curtain Irishman. Now there are lace-curtain Irish, and there are shanty Irish. A lace-curtain Irishman, even on the hottest day in summer, will not come to the dining room table without wearing a suit, usually a dark pinstripe, starched white shirt, and a tie swollen at the top. He will never allow his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he always speaks in a low, subdued voice. Well, Larry came to the dinner table that first night smelling like a billy goat. He and his father gave the usual, have the usual number of quarrels and reconciliations, and thus begins a typical vacation in the Mullaney household. Several nights later, Larry tells his seven nights later, Larry tells his father that he's got to get back to school the next day. What time, son? Six o'clock. Well, I'll ride the bus with you, he said. Next morning, the father and son ride the bus in silence. They get off the bus as Larry has to catch a second one to get to the airport. Directly across the street are six men standing under an awning, all who work in the same textile factory as Larry's father. They begin making loud and degrading marks like, oink, 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 look at that fat pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. <laughs> Sorry. I'd be so embarrassed. It's terrible. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, if anyone would actually do this. But anyway, if that kid was my pig, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed. Another said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast, he wouldn't know if he's on foot or horseback. Hey, pig, give us your best oink. Those brutal salvos continued. Larry Mullaney told me that in that moment, for the first time in his life, his father reached out and embraced him, kissed him, and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave to us in you. I am so proud that you're my son. It would be hard to describe in words the transformation that took place in Larry Mullaney, but I'll try. He came back to school and remained a hippie, but he cleaned up the best he could. Miracle of miracles, Larry began dating a girl, and to top it off, he became the president of one of the fraternities. By the way, he was the first student in the history of our university to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. Larry Mullaney had a brilliant mind. Larry came to my office one day and said, tell me about this man, Jesus. And for the next six weeks and half-hour increments, I shared with Larry what the Holy Spirit revealed to me about Jesus. At the end of those six weeks, Larry said, okay. June 14, 1974, Larry Mullaney was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. And for the past 20 years, he's been a missionary in South America, a man totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Do you know why? It wasn't because of the six weeks of sitting in Brennan Manning's office while I talked about Jesus. No, it was because of a day long ago during a Christmas vacation, standing on a bus stop when his, lance, when his lace curtain Irish father healed him. Yes, his father healed him. His father had the guts to get out of the foxhole and choose the high road of blessing in the face of cursing and taunts. His father looked deeply into his son's eyes, saw the good in Larry Mullaney that Larry couldn't see for himself, affirmed him with a furious love, and changed the whole direction of his son's life. Wow, isn't that something? So... <clears throat> It's one thing to read about that in a book, but could I just say to you, a thing I've noticed is that all Christian dads are especially gifted by the Holy Spirit to do what Larry's dad did. This is Father's Day. goes without saying mothers can do the same, right? But it's Father's Day. 
And I think that maybe we don't feel gifted enough sometimes to do that. But just by the fact that you're the Father gives you the representation of the Father in heaven. That's the way that God made the family. It gives you a special anointing to bless your kids, to love your kids in a special way. The things you say mean more than you can imagine. And as a Christian man, God will give you words to say that actually other people can't say and give you a heart to say it, to change your own heart. One thing we talk about here all the time is this love of God, this love of God that penetrates the heart. Somehow or another, the love of God comes and he softens us to be able to say words like that. It's the only way you'll get through your most difficult parental assignments. It's the only way that we'll truly, really be able to heal the world. Because the rest of the world, even the ones that are broken, maybe addicted to drugs, having difficulties, most of it goes back to our, their own parents, really. But till the place comes where they can actually hear the Father telling them they love, they're loved, <clears throat> that's the point where they'll get healed. And actually, that assignment is not just going to come out of thin air. It's often people demonstrating that, getting to believe that actually the Father really does love them and can do anything in their life. So the thing is, we can only be that bold when we feel that love ourselves. You just need to know how powerful your love is in the life of your children, even if you're not feeling it so boldly. It's like you're equipped, even if you don't feel so loved, even if you're struggling with God. You have this unique ability as a dad to say things to your children, say kind things, good things to your children. You know how to say good things and kind things to them. Maybe even you have to say that even if they don't deserve it. Matter of fact, no broken child and no broken person is ever going to get healed except by a touch from the love of God. But we're Jesus, you know, we're, we're God with, with, with a human face. In a sense, we, are, we represent the Father. That's why the Lord told us to go therefore in the whole world and preach the gospel. He uses us when they see us, hopefully they can see the Father. But even if we don't know or represent Father, we've done horrible mistakes. You know what? God never winces. You can say, I'm sorry from all that, and that failure, all that hardness and all that stupidity and all the stupid things I said. God will forgive you in a moment, but he's more interested in what you're going to do next. And the next thing is to receive his love and forgiveness and then go do something about it. To be a lover, to be an encourager, get your confidence back. Because of your position as a dad, you have authority to bless those kids. Sometimes we relish in our authority to, uh, to discipline those kids or tell them what's what from all of our great wisdom and experience. But I think, as I've learned uh, through the years, there's a time when that isn't so great. They're not really listening that much, you know, <clears throat> about all of our great knowledge and our wisdom and the way we do this and that. They're trying to find their own way. But they will listen to a blessing and to your affection. Demonstrated in word or demonstrated in action. Also, those that are broken, that basically many of our drug-addicted people, homeless people, they're fatherless. They may have had a father or a mother, but they didn't demonstrate what they need. They didn't give them. Maybe they didn't know the Lord themselves. Maybe they're mired in their own addictions and problems, right? So we can give them some slack. Matter of fact, we should give them some slack, right? Part of our healing is forgiving them. But thing is, that's the only part of the story. When you let them go and say, Dad, Mom, you don't have to make it right. I release you from having to make it right. Then you need to go to your Heavenly Father and say, God, please fill me with love. Please fill me with love. Please help me. Marriages are put together by a thousand little different 
expressions of love and mercy to children and wives, fathers. That's how marriages stay together. When you're taking the initiative, 99% of the wives I've ever met will actually respond in kind. It's just that we need to learn how to be lovers. We need to learn how to say kind words, and sacrifice, and be selfless, and the Father will teach us thing of it is, if you didn't have a good father, then you're a little disadvantaged because you didn't have it modeled. But your heavenly father will model it just fine for you. Thank you. He will teach you better than any earthly father. This guy, Melanie's dad, did a good job. At a strategic point in his life, he accepted his son. That might have been the only kind thing he said. Who knows? The only good thing. My guess is it's not. But my guess is he wasn't probably really that great on the affection side, right? Being the straight-laced Irishman he was. I think guys think that they're not very good at it because when they think of it, they think of maybe the way females do it or maybe someone that was too gushy and too unreal for them to ever follow. But God has his ways. In this story, the thing I liked about it was he said just the right thing at the right moment, right? And he didn't go on and on about it. He didn't rush over and, you know, and just, you know, he just said this simple thing and showed him affection. And it was enough. In his case, it was enough last for many, many years. You never know what your affection is going to do, but I tell you, your children and your wives are so thirsty and hungry for it. Your grandchildren, don't ever underestimate how much they need this affection show to them. Your kindness every day, your words of affirmation, especially strategic points, your unconditional acceptance. You see, the thing is, you're like Jesus to them. You're like the Heavenly Father. That's the way God ordained it. And it's Father's Day, so I'm speaking specifically to you fathers, Sometimes I think that uh, the mother's got most of the love genes. Uh, I see them far more persistent. I see them far more present. I think somehow or another, guys, we lose our confidence along the way through a whole string of faulty fathering that has come down through the generations, and we lose our confidence. I don't know why it's not so much in mothers. I think there are obviously dysfunctional moms, but somehow they're close to one thing, that all of us dads need so desperately. They seem to have, because of the birth process or whatever, not all, but many moms seem to have this natural inborn compassion and acceptance of the kids, maybe because they came out of the womb, this, this tenderness. If we learn tenderness, Father, even if it's just a couple of statements or an action or paying a bill, or if we demonstrate tenderness consistently with our kids and the wisdom that God gives us, I think it goes far more than we can expect. And also... I think we're far more equipped to do it. We can't do it like women can. We just let, like men do. And we do it like the Father does. And he's full of instruction, and he'll help you. Tenderness is the key. Maybe even thanksgiving is the key for God saving you, loving you in the situation you're in, loving you when you were away, loving you when you were lost and broken. Isn't it amazing how the Father sent his son to die for us and then goes and gets us through all these ways despite our stuff, right? It's the driving thing, right? It's the driving thing that God does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Oh, how that word, that simple scripture, so reverberates in every area and corner of our lives as dads. For our own kids, right? We love our own kids the same way. Amen. Let's all stand. I think that... uh, as I was speaking, I could feel um, tenderness in the room and maybe even a touch of hopelessness. 
Hopelessness only in the sense that <clears throat> sometimes we just think about our life and think, well, maybe I've just made too many mistakes. You know, my own dad I hate, you know, or something like that. And, and I'm just having a really hard time and my kids are driving me crazy. And I have the hardest time even showing compassion to my wife right now because she feels like she evens against me. You know, there's all kinds of things that come against our minds about it, the past, about this or that. And uh, so uh, I just think that um, today's a great day uh, for God to undo that. I found the love of God just come in and break in on men in ways they hadn't uh, uh, um, um, expected. And I'm going to pray for anybody that would like it. I'm going to ask the Father's love to fall on you men today. And on women too, if you like. But I'm going to ask that maybe some guys would be actually take a chance and just come to the front and ask God to give them a dose of the Father's love. So if you would like that, why don't you come up to the front, guys? And beware would I pray. I'm going to pray the Father's love on you. But it may not hit you in the head until about three days from now. It might hit you in the back of the head and you'll be absolutely shocked. It might happen in a week from now. It might happen in a boat. It might happen on a golf course. It might happen at the Angels game or the Dodgers game. It might happen in the strangest of circumstances. I know what I talk to, I'm talking about because it's happened to me. So I'm going to release the love of the Father to you. And I'm going to ask God to ambush your heart. And I'm going to ask him to give you the ability to love your children, to love your wives in a new way, and to love God back in a new way. And not just right now in this impartation prayer, but I'm going to ask him to come when you least expect it, when you're about to fall asleep at night, when you're fishing at your favorite lake, when you're playing racquetball, where you're pitching batting practice to your kids, when you're at work, trying to solve a difficult problem. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there he is. I call these boomerang prayers because uh, you're going to get this impartation, some of you now. Some of you won't get it till you're alone. I'll never forget my dad. He's a fairly stoic character and uh, beloved me so much. And I remember when I came back to him speaking in tongues and he didn't quite know what to deal with that. He was Presbyterian. He never heard of such a thing. And matter of fact, he suspected that it was some wild Pentecostalism that had kind of infected his son, you know, hoping by hope that it would somehow or another go away and I would somehow not be that way anymore. But it was just a fad maybe in my life. I got emotionally excited and stuff, you know. And so he did a great thing. You know, the greatest thing he did was he said, well, son, uh, that's good for you. And uh, great. I hope God keeps helping you, right? Not understand it at all. And I said, well, Dad, I'll be glad to pray for you to speak in tongues. And he said, no, no, son, I don't think I need that. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Thanks. Thanks anyway. Though. So I know he didn't quite know what to think. He actually, from that moment forward, never knew really fully what to think about me in my journey. Just about the time he thought he had me nailed down when I was in med school, God told, called me out, which is one of the most disappointing days in his life. But the funny thing is about the baptism of the Spirit thing, this is that boomerang thing I was talking about. Two weeks later, he's laying on his bed. He told me I was laying on my bed. 
And I just felt like maybe I should try to speak in tongues for some reason, he said. And I started speaking in tongues. So then I got that perlings thing you were talking about on my bed. So guys sometimes have a hard time. Maybe they're a little harder. I'm not sure. Maybe not. Not all of us are that way. Depends on the time and how desperate we are probably pretty much. But sometimes they're harder, but we get it. I'm going to pray the Father's love on you. Some of you get it now. Some of you will get it and hit you in the back of the head tomorrow or the next day or three weeks from now or three months from now. But I'm praying that God would just as an act of your faith as you've come up here, that God would equip you in a special way for what you need now to navigate your life. To navigate your life. To navigate your life. Your job, how to act in front of your children, how to be married, how to deal with that ex-wife, how to deal with the hurt in your own body or your own soul, how to awaken your heart, how to not feel small all the time when your wife starts talking about these big spiritual experiences, how to feel secure in your own soul, but most importantly, that you would receive love enough to impart that to your own children. Now, ladies, you can receive the same thing. But I got these guys up here, and so let me pray over them a little bit, okay, for you. You can just do it right in your seat. So I'm going to release the love of the Father right now. I'm going to just worship here for a while. And while we're in worship, just be a good receiver, everybody. Whether you're up here or down there, I'm just going to personally lay hands on these guys. Maybe a couple of my friends could help me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I release, as we worship, the magnificent love of the Father. I pray you would touch us in those spaces where we hurt. Touch us in those hard spaces and those blind spaces. And I pray we would literally heal and feel a divine hug from God. I release the love of God to you. May you get a holy infection (laughs) of a God's love. If not now, then tomorrow or the next day, while you're laying on your bed, while you're fishing, while you're playing golf, while you're talking to your kids... May a holy infection come. May the love of God just come and fill your heart in Jesus' name. Now, we're going to come along, some of me and my friends, and we're just going to lay hands on you guys. But you can receive right from your seat wherever you are, maybe while we're worshiping. Sometimes worship brings the love in a certain way that it's unmistakable. So as we worship, just ask God to give you what you need, give you that love that we're talking about today, the Father's love.